Hello, and welcome to another great message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Thanks for joining us today. For notes and video related to this message, please visit www.parkviewchurch.org. Good morning. Trusting that you had a great Christmas. Um, we're ready for the new year. Uh, it's kind of different having church on the actual day of New Year. I am really impressed by how many of you came out this morning. It merely can just confirms my conviction that we as Christians are fairly boring. Uh, <laughs> obviously, not a lot of us were out last night uh, partying. My wife and I stayed up until the New Year's came in, at least in New York City. And then we were in bed, but uh, I'm so, so pleased that you're here this morning. My name is Dave, and I'm one of the pastors here at Parkview. In a lot of ways, this has been a difficult year, hasn't it? Um, some of us are very happy to see the door close on 2016, uh, very happy to see 2017 upon us, um, maybe because of the recent election uh, we realize perhaps more than ever just how divided we are as a nation, how difficult it may be in the near future to live out our Christian convictions, to really take a stand for Christ in a public way. Um, for Christians all around the world, it has been a tough year. Uh, we've seen some horrific things of people who have stood for their faith and paid with their life. Uh, Dr. Al Mohler at Southern Seminary has a little chart he makes in which he measures uh, the level in which Christians are marginalized within their respective cultures or societies. And for America, uh, Dr. Mohler believes we are about halfway through that pattern where we're seeing it becoming more and more difficult uh, for living out one's faith, for having a public testimony at least. Um, so as we think about this new year, we are facing some tremendous challenges. I'm really thrilled that we get to discuss prayer this morning. Uh, some, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I hear somebody's going to talk on prayer, I think either, oh yeah, I've heard that before, been there, done that. Or I think, you know, I, I just, I, I feel bad because sometimes I think my prayer life doesn't measure up to the way it should be. And I don't know where you're at this morning as you sit there, if you're thinking, oh, I need some encouragement in this area, or if you are indeed a prayer warrior. Hopefully this morning we're going to see a little bit of uh, both positions addressed. Uh, if we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit that there are times when our prayer life seems sporadic, anemic, uh, and perhaps even frustrating. Frustrating because no matter how hard we pray, it just doesn't seem like God is listening. In fact, there may be times in our lives when we're deeply challenged to believe that there even is a God, that we keep praying to him for certain things and we see very little response. Um, and yet, we know that through our faith there is a God and we just have to hold on. We need deep, passionate, biblical prayer. I'm going to approach this this morning as if we could all use some instruction on how to pray. Prayer is so important. It's more than just communication with God. It's going to God for a variety of reasons. It's listening to God. 
and giving him that time to speak. It's meditating on God and over and over prompting ourselves with his word, with remembrances of what he has done, with listening to testimonies from others of how he is working in our world that focuses our prayer and empowers our prayer, that makes prayer possible. We know that's important, and we know it's important for a couple of different reasons. First of all, Jesus spent considerable time in prayer. In the three years that are recorded in the Gospels, we frequently see Jesus going off to pray by himself. As it says in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, it says, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. The apostles followed that same pattern, praying over and over. The apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. So we also see that this is a pattern of prayer that is available to us because of the testimony of those who have come before us. Um, When I want to learn how to do something well, it is my tendency to find that person or people that are the best at doing that. I don't necessarily want to learn how to play a sport for somebody who struggles with it. If I want to shoot the perfect basket, I'm not going to ask someone who has never shot a basketball before or has shot it frequently, but it doesn't ever go in or hardly goes in. I want to find that person who's kind of a pro at this. So as we look at examples of saints that have been masters of prayer, I don't think we have to look any further than those saints that were so prevalent in the first few centuries of the church. They understood what prayer was supposed to be about. Uh, Those of you who know me know that this is probably one of my favorite things to do, is to look in the past for guidance and encouragement for our present. But I just want to give you some examples of people that really knew how to pray uh, for different reasons. Take, for instance, Ignatius, a man by the name of Ignatius of Antioch at the end of the first century. Here's a guy who more than likely was discipled by the apostle John, who was a leader in his church, Uh, and who was going to suffer for his faith. In fact, he was so outspoken about his Christianity and his society that he had been arrested by the Romans and was in the process of being transported to Rome for execution. And on his way, he writes a series of letters to leaderships in the churches that he is passing by. And he writes this, Pray without ceasing on behalf of everyone, for in them... There is hope of repentance. He's referring to the very people that are getting ready to kill him. Pray for them. So there is hope of repentance so that they may attain to God. Permit them then to be instructed by your works. If in no other way, be meek in response to their wrath, humble in opposition to their boasting, and to their blasphemies, return your prayers. In contrast to their error, be steadfast in your faith. And for their cruelty, display your gentleness. I look at Polycarp, another man from roughly the same time, also a disciple of the Apostle John, the leader of the church in Smyrna. Don't you love that name, Polycarp? Just say that with me, Polycarp. Isn't that fun? Uh, Yeah, biblical names are just a trip, I love them. But anyway, pray for all the saints. Pray also for kings, for those in power, for princes, for those that persecute and hate you, and for the enemies of the cross, so that your fruit may be apparent to everyone 
that you may be perfect in him. Now, these are people who are every day being challenged on whether or not they are going to say anything publicly for Jesus Christ, whether they're going to live their faith so that all can see, even though it may cost them dearly, whether that is in loss of employment, loss of income, or, in fact, their lives. Jump ahead maybe a 100 years to Tertullian from North Africa. He writes that we need to be holy when we pray. He says, to heaven we lift our eyes with hands outstretched because free from sin, with head uncovered, for we have nothing of which to be ashamed in Christ. Without ceasing, we pray for our emperors. We pray for life prolonged, for security to the empire. Again, there is no love for the Roman Empire in their day, but these men are encouraging us to pray for protection to the imperial house, for brave armies a faithful senate, a virtuous people, the world at rest, whatever as man or Caesar an emperor would wish. Do we spend a lot of time praying for the transition of government that we're going through right now? I don't know where you're at politically this morning, but we are in a time of transition in this nation, are we not? And are we in prayer, deeply in prayer, for the men and women that lead this country, not just for the president or the president-elect, not just for senators or governors, but also for representatives and those that have a vital interest and a, and a hand in everything that happens in our public domain. We have to be fervently at prayer and imitate those who went before us. Jumping way ahead, we come to a man by the name of Andrew Bonar, a great Scottish preacher, and he says, perhaps we've not been men of prayer. The spirit of prayer has slumbered among us. The closet has been too little frequented and delighted in. We have allowed business, study, or active labor to interfere with our closet hours. And the feverish atmosphere in which both the church and the nation are enveloped has found its way into our prayer closet. Jumping ahead even further to Samuel Chadwick, he writes, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. Our enemy dreads when the people of God pray. He fears nothing for prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toll, our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. And then lastly, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great famous uh, Welsh preacher, writes this in the 80s, prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. Ultimately, therefore, a man discovers that the real condition of his spiritual life when he examines himself in prayer, when he is alone with God. It is not only the highest activity of the human soul, it is the ultimate test of our true spiritual condition. So, where are you at this morning? How's your prayer life doing? How happy are you to get into prayer? Very few of us would say, oh, I don't like prayer. Uh, even fewer would say, I resist prayer. And yet, we find that on a daily basis, it is so hard to pray. It is so difficult to get that discipline down and we wish that we had instruction. I, in my Christian life, I have uh, hardly ever seen opportunities to learn how to pray. What is it about those people that seem to have the ear of God that made that possible? I, I know in my life, when I really want to see something happen, and my prayers are frustrating me because God doesn't seem to be listening, I go to one person. It's my wife. I don't know what it is. <laughs> God listens to her. Uh, it's crazy. 
uh, I'll just say to her, I'll drop a hint, hey, can, we need to pray for this. And so, it's usually something I've been praying for for quite a while. And God hears her. I believe it is situated in the fact that she is a woman of holiness, righteousness. She is a woman that is long used to and is frequently in prayer. I love to listen to her pray. We have people on our, our church staff that I love to listen to when they pray. Uh, a young woman on our children's staff, I especially enjoy listening to her pray. She comes in such freshness, such innocence, and yet in such a demanding way. Her words are special. And God, I think, wants to hear us pray. It doesn't matter if you're well-practiced in it or if maybe today is the first time that you commit to having a regular time of prayer in your life. We need to pray, and all of us can improve in that. We need to understand that prayer is hard. Uh, we would think that, well, we're just having a conversation with God. How difficult can that be? But the discipline of praying is hard. It's incredibly difficult to set aside time to pray with God. I know there have been phases in my life, and I don't know where you're at this morning, but uh, where I found it hard to either stay awake long enough at night to pray or get up early enough to pray. I found it difficult to remember to pray. How do I keep lists? How do I have that special way of having time with God? We have to think about it. This morning, I want to give us some encouragement, some really good, valuable tools, I hope, in helping us to learn to pray. We're going to need instruction. We need to learn how to pray, when to pray, how to get God to hear our prayers, how to listen in prayer, and how to get God to answer our prayers. Where do we go for such instruction? Well, as I hinted at earlier, some of the most powerful men and women of prayer that I can see in church history have been those people who have been going through the most difficult of situations and times in their culture. And I focus this as being way back onto those first few centuries in the church. There's a group of people by the name of the Desert Fathers, men and women uh, who went out into the desert and prayed. They went out seeking God, and they left for us a testimony to that. So what have they told us about prayer? What can we understand about it? Well, first of all, let's understand this. Prayer is essentially conversation with God. It's different than conversation with other people. Think about this. When you talk to others, you're using words, facial expression, body posture. All those things go into communication. But when we pray to God, there is an unseen, unheard element in our life that is being brought into play. Prayer is largely a matter of soul, of spirit. Truly, we speak with words, and we may do so out loud, especially when we're with others, but prayer comes from within. As one of the men just I just read says, it is a true measurement of our spiritual condition. What is our spirit like? How do we pray? How do we talk? Prayer is unseen communion with God. Silence may keep others from knowing our thoughts, but it doesn't keep God from knowing our thoughts. It's not difficult to talk to someone who wants to talk to you. That's one of the great things about having prayer time with God. It's not like we have to say, hey, God, excuse me, I need your attention for a second. I know you're super busy right now taking care of all kinds of things. Uh, you totally let me down on the football game this week, but still, God, I want you to listen to what I have. No, 
That's not the way God is at all. God is saying, Dave, Dave, you know, Dave, Dave, 24-7, God wants to talk to you. How awesome is that? Uh, we don't have to dial a number. We don't have to uh, get permission. Since Christ's work on the cross, all God wants is fellowship with us. That's why he's gone to all the effort he has gone to for, through salvation is to just speak with us. What an amazing truth. Secondly, prayer and theology are inseparable. Sometimes I think the weakness of our prayers is because we don't know that much about God. We haven't been real serious in a desire to learn about who God is. And therefore, when we come to him in prayer, we don't know him. Think of the great men and women in, in Scripture that have had communion with the Lord. Moses, on a regular basis, goes to the mountain and he speaks with God. And the people know that he's doing this because his face is aglow. He shines with being in the presence of the Lord. I don't know if you've known someone who is a frequent and faithful prayer warrior, a person who loves to pray. But I, I tell you, there is a glow that comes off of them. There is a serenity, a peace, and a power that you don't see in others. People who know how to talk to God know who their God is. Thirdly, prayer is predicated on the supplicant's desire for holiness, and the seeking pursuit, ever, excuse me, ever-increasing pursuit of God. We have to pursue him. We have to do so, though, with hearts that are in obedience to him. I think probably the greatest hindrance to prayer, both doing it and getting, uh, receiving something back, is the fact that we don't think about how we're coming to God. Think of all the stories in Scripture from the Old Testament through the New Testament and how holy God is, how without sin. And sometimes we come to God with dirty hands, with heavy hearts, and we don't take the time to first get, get right with him, to make sure that we are holy as he is holy. We imagine ourselves generous, yet rarely do we give anything away. Pure in our thinking, yet addicted to a weekly jaunt through the web's darkest corridors, we blithely assassinate someone's character, and then five minutes later, we sit in a worship service or retreat center praying for that very person whose character we murdered earlier. Our habitual thoughts and behaviors are who we are. They are us, and it's our character that we bring into prayer with us. Think about it for a second. The Bible says the prayers of a righteous man in James 5.16 have great power before God. They, effective, they affect much. What an awesome statement. And yet none of us are perfect. All of us have things that we're working on in our lives and our personal holiness. Yet it is those who strive for such holiness that God listens to. What does it mean to be a righteous person? Christ declares us as Christians righteous, but yet each of us practice sin. Each of us have done something that makes God unhappy, and we have to get that right before we go and we try to talk to him. And the way we do that is by confessing our sin, confessing sin to God and confessing sin to one another, keeping short accounts. Fourthly, we understand that we're constantly battling distractions when we pray. The church father, Augustine, says it's like a hive of bees buzzing in our head. I don't know if you notice this as much as I do, but when I sit down to pray, I have great intentions, and as I'm praying, it feels like everything, every thought in the world is collapsing in on my head, trying to get my attention away from my God. Uh, 
I'll never forget having read a book on prayer uh, back early in my ministry. I decided that I was going to a conference in Chicago and that I was going to go one day early because I wanted to spend focused time in prayer. And I made a list of things I wanted to pray about. I checked into my hotel room. Uh, I didn't turn on the TV. I didn't do anything other than get my Bible out. I knelt on, right in front of my bed and I began to pray. What a great time of prayer. I took so many things to God and inter interceded for so many different people. And when I looked at my watch, about 15 minutes had passed. <laughs> I tried to pray for an hour, then two hours. And I, I confess, after about three hours, I gave up. I thought, how do people pray for such a long time? What do they do with that? But yet, as I've gotten older, and as I've learned to better pray, I find that there are not enough minutes in the day. Not enough hours in the day, not enough days in the calendar for me to get said everything to God that I need to say. Prayer takes practice. Prayer takes discipline. Those bees buzzing in your head require preparation for prayer. Now, you don't hear that too often, that people would say, well, you need to prepare to pray. But I'm telling you, it really helps. Think of all the great things that you want to do in life. Those things that you aspire to the most. I want to be the best at this sport. I want to be the best at this in business. Uh, what of those things do you not go through training for? What of those things do you not put serious preparation into before you try to achieve it? What of those things do you not practice over and over again? Even if you fail, you're right back at it the next day. And yet with prayer, some of us just try it and we give up. Some of us think that there's something wrong with the way that I'm doing it. We have to prepare for prayer. Think of this. We need to come, just as Jesus says in Luke 9:23. if anybody would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Part of the preparation for prayer is learning the art of denial. As I read these church fathers, it, it, you, it, just a common theme, and it seems to be something that we've lost in the modern church. It is that of denial. Uh, the flesh gets in the way of our spiritual communication system. I don't know what other word to put there. When we pray, to have that open channel to God, we cannot come with fleshly considerations in mind. For me personally, that helps when I deny myself uh, to eat too much. Uh, to watch too much TV, to be too focused on a sports team or whatever it is that I'm passionate about. When I want to pray and have that clear avenue with God, I seek to deny myself, not because of that which I'm denying is sinful or wrong, but because it is not profitable for my time with God. What's getting in your way of communication with God? What are you regularly practicing denial for? That's why these desert fathers went into the desert. They decided that there's a lot of things in life that were getting in the way. Unless you think that they were acting in an unbiblical way, that perhaps they were just escaping out into a lifestyle that really is very artificial. Understand this, that the great majority of them, take such as Anthony of the desert, uh, come back after a period of time and throw themselves into ministry. 
and are incredibly effective, excuse me, effective in, in moving people towards the gospel and achieving great things for Christ. And yet they believe that they had to go and discipline their minds, discipline their hearts, get themselves in the regular practice of beseeching God. We see this all the way through scripture. Moses does amazing things for 40 years being raised in the household of Pharaoh. Then he's 40 years in the wilderness of Midian. What's he doing out there? The apostle Paul uh, has the Damascus Road experience. And then there's a time period where we really don't hear a lot about what he's doing. He's being instructed, we know. He's spending time alone with God, but he's getting his heart and mind set right. You see this pattern over and over again in Scripture. We're in such a rush sometimes with our lives. We're so busy. We want so many things to happen, bam, 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 that we don't understand that we're operating on God's time, not our time. It's his time. He may be available 24-7, but he may want you to spend some definite time preparing to meet him, denying yourself, thinking about what it is to be in relationship with him, learning how to pray. Lastly, the fathers also believed in persistent prayer. This is one of the most difficult ones. Persistence itself is a gift of grace. It's hard because we pray and we pray passionately. We pray fervently. We don't know how else to do it. We pour our hearts out to God. Lord, rescue my child from cancer. Father, heal my marriage. Father, help me overcome this, this bondage to this particular sin. I can't handle anymore. Lord, we have these bills to pay and we need your intercession. We need you to go out and, and raise money for us and, and to give it to us. Uh, and we just pray and pray, and it feels like we've been praying forever, and there's nothing. Heaven feels like the doors are closed. And we ask ourselves, we start out by saying, well, maybe I'm not praying the right way. Maybe I need to use different words. Maybe I need to do something that would really get God's attention. But the fact is this. We're just told to be persistent. There's something that happens in us as spiritual beings where we grow in our maturity and character in Christ when we persist in prayer. God wants us to do that. When we look at the example that Jesus leaves for us of the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11, we read this parable. It's a great story. Jesus said to them, uh, suppose someone has a friend. He goes to him at midnight. He says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine is on a journey, has come to stay with me, and I've got nothing to feed him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. Door is already locked. My children are in bed. I can't get up. I won't give you anything. I tell you, Jesus says, that person will not get up and he won't give the man bread just because he is his friend. But because the man keeps on asking, he will get up. He will give him as much as he needs. So here's what I say to you. Ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks will receive. He who searches will find. And the door will be opened to the one who knocks. I'm going to dare say this this morning, that we live in a society of instant gratification. We're used to everything just coming. 
I was sharing with Dave in the back there that yesterday my one of my daughters came over and uh, they're going to a New Year's Eve party and they wanted to borrow a game and then they're like and by the way do you have any food left over from uh, the Christmas celebrations and Next thing I know, she's got two sacks full of food and trotting out the door, which is great. We didn't really mind. But, you know, it's just like the thought came, we're going to do it. And we do this all the time. I want this. I'm going to go get it. And then we're just not used to waiting. Prayer sometimes just cultivating the art of waiting, persisting in your prayer, continually praying, waiting on God to answer. I, I confess, I struggle with persistence quite often. Uh, some of you know that, uh, I think Jeff has shared this, that there are many of us who are just praying that God would provide uh, finances for Faith Academy. Uh, God would provide finances for this church. God would help us to be generous givers. Um, but yet I've sat besides people in the hospital and they're praying for healing. And we just sometimes give up. I have a great friend uh, that I went to college with, then I went to Dallas Seminary with, and he became a pastor just like me. He has three daughters just like me, uh, one of my better friends. And at some point in his life, he grew so bitter, so angry at God, he just completely left the reservation, if I can say it that way. The guy was out there. Uh, he forsook his faith. He abandoned his family. And I was horrified when I heard that news. Uh, and I didn't know it until almost a year after it happened because he was busy in ministry in Texas and I was here in Iowa. And I talked to his wife one day and said, Joe, you don't know. You don't know what's happened. And she filled me in. And I just started praying for this man. I knew his heart. I knew what kind of guy he was. And I wanted God so much to reach in there and grab him. And years passed with me praying for him. And after a while, my prayers, instead of being daily, became weekly. Instead of weekly, they became monthly. And every once in a while, especially if I saw something on Facebook or I got a note from somebody in his family, I oh, yeah, I was supposed to be praying for him. I, I need to pray for him. And that's what happens in our lives. We're not waiting on God. We're not persistent. And God used that example to wake me up one morning. I got a call. And it was from this family. And so you're not going to believe this. This man has come, come back. He's confessed his sin. He wants restoration. I couldn't believe it. I've got three or four other people in the same situation, good friends of mine, that are no longer walking with Christ, and we keep praying for them. And now when I am tempted to give up praying, to not be as persistent, I remember the example of my friend. God is working. He's not faithless. He is faithful. He is not asleep. He is awake on your behalf. God is doing things in his way, in his time. We've all been there, haven't we? When we've had major financial crises, and we're like, God, where are you at? I need help now, not 10 months from now. And yet God will take his time and his way to do what he wants in his will. We have to be persistent. A sign of good prayer warriors is someone who does not give up. Persistence implies faith that God has uh, heard your prayers and he's going to respond. That response isn't necessarily what you always hope for, 
But the fathers recognize that persistent prayer is something that God will listen to. Jesus says, the man will not get out of bed because his friend has asked him to, but he will get out of bed and give you that loaf because you keep on being persistent. One of the translations said, because of the impudence of the asker. Think about that. God rewards our impudence, us taking that risk to continually ask him for what we need. I don't know why he's that way. You know, wouldn't it be wonderful, we think, if God would just instantaneously give us what we need? But there's some problems with that concept. And that is that our prayers aren't always directed the way they should be. A couple of the things that we could be instructed on as such is that our prayers are not always going to make uh, God answer because we have the wrong attitude about them. We have the wrong concept of how we're praying. Some of the things that we can be instructed in is that our prayers often are short-sighted. We're asking for things that would actually harm rather than help us. What are the consequences of our desires? We pray for our children, for safety, good health, I want my daughters to have the best life that they can live. And yet, when I pray that prayer, I have to really think through that. What was it that made me grow the most in Christ? It was the hard times, right? It was the suffering. If we truly want our children to walk with God, how many of us are praying that God would put obstacles in their path? How many of us are praying that God would allow them to experience things that we necessarily wouldn't, as parents, want them to go through? You see, God has his own agenda. Even in the book of Hebrews, it says that Christ grew through suffering that led him to obedience. It's sometimes those things that are hardest in life that make us the best prayer warriors and make us the most obedient to Christ. Sometimes our prayers are short-sighted. We don't see that. Secondly, our prayers also uh, may be detrimental to other prayers that we're praying. When we think about what it is that we're praying for, we sometimes have to ask ourselves, is this getting in the way of some other things that we greatly desire? Do I want this person to be so successful uh, in their life because this is what God wants, or am I wanting that because it would be something that I, the world has taught me would be great? There's so much of this life uh, the wealth, the materialism, uh, the fame, the power that finds its way into our prayers. What is it that we're praying for? Also, we can pray contradictory prayers. We may pray that I want to see a person come to Christ, while we also may pray that, a that God would heal a person of disease, yet it's through the situation that God is talking to that person. Uh, often when I pray for someone who's sick, I, I pray that God would allow that sickness to last as long as it needs to for that person to hear God. That's not from a stony heart. That's just from my life experience. We need to listen to what God has to say. And sometimes he's going to bring about situations that can happen in no other way because of our sinfulness than by when he directly confronts us with pain, with suffering, with disease, with financial hardship, my wife and I, when we were in seminary, uh, it seemed like we were on a continual financial roller coaster. We'd hit payday, we'd go out and have a great time, we'd have dinner, we'd do all kinds of fun things. And then at the end of the month, we would run into a period literally of zero funds, five or six days where we had nothing. 
And yet, as we look back on those days now, we realize how much we learned in the times of poverty versus what we learned during the times of great uh, wealth. Uh, it's in those times of poverty, whether we're talking real finances or poverty of time, poverty of attention. If you're experiencing loneliness and you want that to stop, you, you feel like you need something in your life, ask God if that's the best thing for you. See, there's a difference with coming with our prayers to God and saying, I know what's right for me. I'm going to pray for these things. And God, I want you to listen and I want you to bless me with them. Versus coming to God and saying, Lord, what do you think is the best thing for me in this present day, in this present situation? I want to learn so that I can pray rightly. Sometimes we're not ready for what we're praying. If one thing is clear from Scripture... God believes in preparing us for those things that we're asking for. Uh, when we're waiting on God, it's tough. Uh, I, I know many people that have been praying for new job situations, new ministry opportunities, and it just seems like only, God would only want that for us in our lives. And yet God has us stuck in what is called his hallway. We're just waiting. And in that process... God is doing some amazing things. I know in my life, when I've been in that period of time where I would call it a hallway experience, God is not ignoring me. He's preparing me for what he's going to have happen in my life. Also, we may miss the fact that suffering moves us to prayer and gives us the strength to persevere in prayer. Grisoto, uh, one of the early church fathers, teaches us that fellowship with Christ and suffering for Christ are mutually entwined. The Apostle Paul says the same thing. The cross, the shadow of the cross. When I pray, I often think of that cross being behind me, being before me. I want to pray in such a way that that cross, which the world views as one of shame, pain, humiliation, uh, execution, is in fact what gives me life, health, joy, and power. It's because of that cross, because of his death, because of his sacrifice, that I am the person that I am today. And so when I pray for others, I, I pray often that God would discern where their hearts are at. What do they need to understand about who Christ is and what is he about? What are they experiencing in suffering? I see sometimes when I go to the hospital and I visit people that they they're, you know, would rather be anywhere else than right there. And yet I also have to pray and say, God, what are you saying to that person in the middle of the night when they're laying there and the machines are kind of beeping or glowing? It's at those times that we talk to God, isn't it? When God is speaking the loudest to us, when all the clutter of the world is pushed aside, it's in the midst of suffering, of loneliness. God is shaping us so that we can be that prayer person, so that we can have fellowship with him. And all of a sudden we find that that which we've been praying for and we thought that we desired the most has slowly shifted focus to where now we're praying for what God wants the most, where God wants our focus. The greatest revivals that are happening in our world today are happening in places like Africa, in China. And why are they happening there? I believe it's because the saints that live there have been undergoing such suffering, such persecution, that they have become by necessity prayer warriors for God. So you think about that the next time you pray for material blessing. You think about that for the next time that you pray for the freedom to share your religious faith. Is that what is really going to promote Christ's church? 
Or should we be praying more circumspectly? God, your will be done in my life, whatever that may mean, whatever that may cost me. You see, we're involved in a battle. We're involved in a daily struggle, both for personal holiness, but also for the cause of Christ to penetrate this country. I pray for a revival constantly. I'm always praying. A Tuesday, I've set aside as my prayer day for the University of Iowa, for this city, but I also pray for this nation. And when I think and I pray for revival, what does that mean? I don't want to suffer. I don't want to be limited in my expression of Christianity. I don't want my kids to lose their positions because of who they are in Christ. And yet if I'm praying for revival, have I thought about that? Is that what that really means? Maybe God is getting ready to do a great work and first steps have to happen. Things have to happen that draw and focus our attention on him. These early church fathers understood that all too well. They prayed on their way to persecution. They prayed on their way to execution. They prayed just in their regular everyday jobs, but they knew what it was required of them as believers, and they brought it. Lastly, I just want to close with this. Looking at the Lord's Prayer, if you're saying this morning, I, I really don't know how to pray, there's, there's that thing that we call the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, also in Luke 11. But I just want to read it to you really quick. Jesus has been asked, how do we pray? And he says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Some of you may have grown up in church praying those kind of prayers and that's awesome but think about the words here jesus is saying pray like this our father now we take that for granted we've been believers christianity has been around uh for a thousand couple thousand years but at this point and to the church fathers who thought about this they're saying what did he say we can call god father amazing amazing the intimacy of that prayer when your child comes to you if you have children and they call you daddy they get that loving expression on their face what's the thing you want to do for them you want to give you want to bless them my wife will tell you that all too often my daughters have me wrapped around their finger they know what to say daddy i want this now, their purposes and their motives may not be holy, but when we come to God and we say, Our Father, what a privilege. People in the Old Testament didn't have that privilege. We realize that, right? In the Old Testament, there wasn't that intimacy. God was behind a veil. A high priest saw him one day a year on Yom Kippur. But we, at any moment of the day, can approach our Father and say, Father, and then we ask for his will to be done. You're asking for your daily bread every day. The fathers would say, hey, you know what happens? It's sometimes we become so enamored with the things that we desire in this life that they become disordered desires. All we're supposed to pray for is what we need today. We pray for his kingdom to come. We pray, Father, that you would not lead us into temptation. Study that prayer. Understand what it means to pray in him. I practice this prayer every day, and I don't just recite it and think I'm done with it. I meditate on it. 
What does that mean? Your kingdom come. What does it mean that your name is holy? How will be thy name? It means that I'm supposed to be holy, just like you. This morning, as Doug mentioned earlier, we want you to focus on your prayer requests. There's a little card in your bulletin, I hope, and in it, we want you to take a moment at the end of the service today to write in it some requests. I want you to do this for me this morning. Based upon what we've been talking about, what do you want to pray for right now? You can write down requests if you have them, like pray for health, pray for my marriage, pray for all the usual things, and we will pray for those this Wednesday night in Ignite. But if you're really going to dream big, if you're really going to step out of the box and pray for God to do some amazing things in this town, in this community, in this nation, what is it that you want prayer for? What is it that you would like to pray? God, we want revival. But start with me. Examine my heart. Examine my life. I want to be your instrument in your hands. But whatever it is, whatever it is, I'm, I'm praying for Faith Academy. I'm, you know what I'm praying for? And I think Jeff has shared this too. I'm praying for seven million bucks to be given to that school because I believe so much in its mission, so much in its cause. I want them to have that now. God may say, no, I just want to bless them in drips, not in a whole big chunk, and that's fine. But I'm still going to pray that persistently. I'm going to wake him up. I'm going to say, God, give me this. I need it. I want it for them. But what is your dream? Do you have a friend like I have who's gone off on his own and is not trusting Christ anymore? And it seems maybe you have adult children that aren't walking in faith. Write that down. Whatever it may be that God lays on your heart this morning, write it down, turn it in, and we want to pray. Can I invite you personally to come to this Wednesday night? Let's, as a church, pray together for this year. Let's pray together for this community. Let's pray together to a God who's so big that we can't out-ask Him for anything. Father, thank you for this morning. We praise you for prayer. We thank you for your love and your grace. And I ask, Lord, that you would help our prayers to be focused on you, that you would do what you need to do in our lives, that we are focused, so that our prayers are the kind that please you. And Father, may we be persistent. May we be prepared. May we do away, Father, through denial of the buzzing of the bees in our minds as we get together and alone with you. And Father, may we practice that prayer that you gave us to practice. And may we do so, Father, regularly, routinely. May we, each and every person here, be a prayer warrior this year. May we never give up. We ask this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Parkview Church. We pray that you are blessed by God's Word. For additional teaching, resources, podcasts, as well as information on who we are and our upcoming events, please visit our website at www.parkviewchurch.org.